You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 24, airing in March 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And I'm Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, did that all sound coherent, That what I just said? Oh, yeah, that was great. Okay, was good. Because <laughs> uh, we have a newborn here at uh, our house and who's two weeks old. And so I'm only going on a limited amount of sleep before this episode here today. So uh, for you and the audience, if there's anything that I say that does not sound coherent, that's because... I became a parent. He's a new daddy. Yeah. And I've already exciting. got to hold Luke Stahoviak. You have. You and, have. You know, that really makes me um, even more motivated to address the subject that we're going to talk about today. Which, which is why I was thinking about it, Sandy, as we were just talking before the show here and prepping our notes. Uh, you, you do look at these things differently as a parent and and through the eyes of and the lens of a parent than I think that we do when we're not parents and thinking about the messages that we send to kids and the and the importance of learning early mm. both on a positive and a negative side and we're going to talk about that a bunch today well and the whole idea of development strategies for for raising kids because mm-hmm. their brains and all these things that we feed into them because it really is what you put in is what you get out yeah. So what are we going to discuss today? Because you know you have a, a, a well, whole bunch of things prepared and I, here. I, I really want listeners today, I know you listen sometimes when you're driving. So if you're driving, don't pay attention right now. But if you're not, please get a pen and paper out because I'd like you to brainstorm with us as we go through this um, podcast today. We're going to revisit prevention and community engagement. Hmm. And at the end of this, I would love to get emails at GCWJ. Um, at vanguard.edu or call us um, at um, 714-9-966-6361. We just changed this I number know, we recently, just changed which the number. is why. It's like, I never call myself. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and so again, that number, 714-966-6361. And by the way, we'll have links to this in the show notes. So if you are on the road and listening to this, you can always hop onto the website later and uh, check us out there okay. as well. So, so when we look at prevention, I, I want us to start back at, with our basic understanding. Early on, we talked about the law of supply and demand and um, look at the things we know that are part of driving supply and driving demand with regard to sex trafficking in specific. And so a couple of those things that drive demand, Dave. Yeah, one, a couple of them that we have talked about here this morning, Sandy, is certainly pornography and how that drives uh, demand for trafficking. And I know some people would say, wow, you know, that's that's not necessarily connected. People who are, you know, uh, involved in pornography workers are, are there by choice. And as you know, you and I both know in many situations, they're not there by choice. Mm, and even if yeah. they are, quote unquote, there by choice, 
you know, they aren't really in many situations. Um, and so, so that certainly drives demand for human trafficking. And, and we have tons of evidence we could point to around that. And if you're, we should do an episode on that, Sandy, but if yeah. you're looking for resources around that, of course, send us an email and Sandy can put you in touch with those. And then part of it too is also this, uh, what we've termed pimp culture and uh, the, especially some of the language and just some of the things that are happening in popular culture that's that that do contribute to this um i don't want to say being uh you know supported but but tolerated in our culture it, it normalizes it, exactly that's a better word sandy it normalizes what we expect in the culture and it and it is interesting when you think about just how much the word pimp has become which is not a good word uh, no, you know, it's, it's you can go to prison for pimping, and you it's should against the law. Yeah, and and pimping means, and we should have actually looked it up in the dictionary before <laughs> we hopped on the air here, Sandy. Um, so I'm going to do that if you want to just okay. mention a little bit. Let about- me go on to some um uh things that drive supply. Uh, we know particularly with regard to um the commercial sexual exploitation of youth and juveniles that the the whole breakdown in in taking care of kids who are running away from really difficult situations, placing them, child welfare, and and then they get picked up for juvenile prostitution, and they're really victims, but they've been arrested as an offender. Um, they're out there for some reason, and we need to understand why, because they are the supply that is very available in our communities. And uh, go ahead and read that for us. The Merriam-Webster's definition of a pimp is a man who solicits clients for a prostitute. So this is not a good thing. This is not a good word. Uh, This is an illegal activity, and it's part of what we're working against here, uh, Sandy, is to end this in the world. And yet we have things that we hear about in the world, like, uh, you know, terms like pimp my ride and, you know, how often we see adults and children using this term pimp and somehow that's become okay in culture to use this word and well we associate it with really um innocuous things like uh, a young mother and her and her little girl in in primary grade school um talking about popcorn pimp i don't even know what that is or who that is mm-hmm. but the whole idea that we associate we can put the word pimp with popcorn mm-hmm. what is that yeah but for her it it sounds normal but I don't want it to be normal when she's a teenager. Right, right, exactly, exactly. You know, I. Well, I I won't mention what I was going to mention. Uh, Sandy was, you know, just but some of the language. It's just interesting how our culture does grab onto language and in, in in ways and and then through normalization and, it just becomes and language becomes accepted. the structure on which we um, engage our community. You so, were telling me even before the show today that there is apparently pimp and hoe um, Halloween costumes for toddlers. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty disturbing. That's horribly and, disturbing. And that's kind of where we're going to go with this. We're going to okay. look at prevention. Um, the LA Times uh, interviewed me back in January of 2008, mm. and uh, they really uh, questioned if we could actually do anything in the area of prevention. And I talked about the story of teaspoons and faucet strategies and, and how do we turn off the faucet? Mm -hmm. And that requires 
engaging in an exercise to determine where the points of opportunity to do prevention actually exist. We are at this point looking more at how do we find homes for runaways, but maybe we need to go back further so that they don't ever run away that they're never exploited. And and I know that sounds pie in the sky, but in 2007, Dr. Laura Letter was at our Global Center for Women and Justice conference called Strategies Against Sex Trafficking. And she introduced the idea that we need anti-trafficking campaigns just like the anti-smoking campaigns that have reduced lung cancer significantly. And in fact, there's a... Um, a report that came out this fall from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. And there are a few things that they identified in there. Dave, you want to read that one section in there? Sure. My page here. Uh, So the report also noted that states that make greater investments in effective tobacco control strategies see larger reductions in smoking. And the longer they invest, the greater the savings in smoking-related healthcare costs. Such strategies include higher tobacco prices, hard-hitting media campaigns, 100% free smoke-free policies, and easily accessible quitting treatments and services for those who want to quit. Now, when you see a model that is effective, um, I, I did a survey in my class the other day and asked how many of my students, how many of you smoke? Nobody raised their hand. Mm-hmm. I asked um, how many of your parents smoke? Um, in a, and it was a pretty large group. Um, two students had parents who smoked. That's all. Mm. That's all. So this this anti-smoking campaign was very, very effective. It was. It didn't end it, but it is very effective. Yeah. And it's, it's really an inspiring story when you think about it, Sandy. I mean, I, I, we were talking uh, that, you know, when I was a kid in school, I mean, there was huge, huge efforts around convincing children that smoking was bad. And, and nowadays, you know, that's just common, you know, it's, common knowledge everyone knows that smoking is bad and and but what a success story that's been i mean if we looked back 50 years from uh, 50 years ago and back in the 60s everybody smoked if you had told someone back then that uh, you know smoking was bad for you and no one would smoke 50 years from then no one would have believed you well and i'm here in california where you can't smoke in a restaurant it's just against the law and every once in a while i'm traveling in a state where that isn't a law and uh when they ask me smoking or no smoking i'm like what yeah, yeah. So so it was really interesting in the CDC report to read this little tidbit. In the West, where smoking prevalence is lower among men and women than in other regions, lung cancer incidence is decreasing faster. Studies show declines in lung cancer rates can be seen as soon as five years after smoking rates decline. So why, do we, why are we talking about smoking on ending human trafficking? Yeah. Well, because I want us to think about parallel ways to to look at this. So we campaign right now against directly against sex trafficking. And there were posters to stop smoking and there were ugly posters of the inside of of somebody's lungs from the black tar. A lot of that didn't work very well. What did begin to work when we started secondhand smoke campaigns, because all of a sudden, um, parents realized that smoking impacted their children. And I, I remember when my daughter was having some um, issues with asthma and my father-in-law was smoking at the time. Mm. And so he, he voluntarily agreed that he would never smoke in our house. And when the kids were at their house, he didn't smoke. 
because they everybody was aware that secondhand smoke would hurt some of the most vulnerable in our communities. Well, we can take that same parallel and begin to apply that. The secondhand use of pornography and the pimp culture and sex trafficking, the secondhand implications on our daughters and our sons are motivation enough to do something. And what you said a moment ago, Sandy, about just the the differences in parts of the country and culture, it really does impact how people think. I remember I moved to California back in 1999, and I came from uh, Illinois, which you know was much heavier smoking population. Mm-hmm. And when I moved out here, it was just after California had passed one of the first. I think it was the first law in the country banning smoking in all public, you know, indoor restaurants. And I remember when I moved out here, like thinking, like, wow, great, you know, it was free, you know, clean air when you go to a restaurant, and how that seemed like such a luxury. Mm. And within a year or two of living here and then traveling back home to visit family, all of a sudden I'd go to a restaurant back home and they'd ask smoking or non-smoking and I'd be like, oh, awful. And and it just took that time, you know, just that year or two of being in a new environment where people thought differently about something to change my perspective on how I approach that. And I think that that is a, there's a lot of parallels to that with human trafficking. If we change some of the language we're using around, you know, this pimp culture and how we look at language and prevention and all those things we've been talking about, Sandy, we really can shift our thinking oh. and society's thinking on these. Things. And I'm thinking about 100% pornography free um, environment as you know related to like this 100% smoke free zone. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think the West is going to be. A, the leader on that because probably not. Um, Southern California is the capital of pornography production. So yeah, we've got our work cut true. out for us. Another, another area um, that is a parallel when we are looking at this with the related healthcare costs, if we reduce sex trafficking, we would impact healthcare costs in our communities. And I, and I think those are some of the, the benefits that we need to promote in this anti-trafficking campaign mm-hmm. as it grows because people want to know what's in it for me. And if it means a reduction in um, public health care costs, that's that's a benefit and we need to promote that. Yeah, and money talks, especially when we're talking to state legislatures and federal legislatures about you know how we can uh, advance you know, the, the cause of ending human trafficking, that is, that is something that really affects the bottom line. And that's important to everybody, especially these days. It took a long time for the cigarette industry to begin to respond to the evidence that cigarettes did cause cancer and how they responded to that, um, began to, it, it, for, they were forced to take some responsibility mm-hmm. and hard hitting media campaigns is probably what drove that. And how are we going to do the same thing with regard to sex trafficking? Um, they, the, the taxes on, on cigarettes went up in order to fund those campaigns. Well, how do we tax um, the sexual exploitation of, of men, women, and children? How do we do that? So, so it's a little more complicated, but it certainly is something we have to be figuring out. And there are little things that when we go back upstream, we can look at. Um, I was I was actually over in Eastern Europe when they were not able to advertise 
in magazines and on TV that where children would be around with cigarettes here in the States. Mm. And so those advertisement dollars went to countries where they didn't have any regulation like that. And I, I was approached by, um, I was part of um, a humanitarian nursing um, association. And I was approached by a, a nurse who said, do you realize that your cigarette manufacturers are now promoting cigarettes uh, with our kids? And they were actually giving out free samples of cigarettes that were laced with sugar and flavors. And that reminded me of some of the stuff that's out there and available to our kids that just is on the borderline of pornography. It's, mm-hmm. it's samples. It's, it's sweet, chocolate-covered, um, sugar-coated candy that is um, normalizing the idea of this is an okay habit. And when I, when I listened, we have a, um, a DVD from a couple years ago at our conference from Dr. Sharon Cooper about normalizing the hypersexualization of kids. And she played some music that our 12 and 13 year olds are listening to that shocked me. I, I didn't even realize it. And it was nice music and the, the video was colorful. There was nothing ugly in it. It very, very attractive to children. And so I remember when I was a kid, you could walk into a dime store and buy a package of candy cigarettes. Mm -hmm. But they outlawed that because it introduced the idea of normalizing the habit of smoking. So you can't buy candy cigarettes in California. But we let our kids use words like pimp and wear costumes, uh, pimp and hoe, toddler outfits. So, so... Crazy, How, isn't it? Yeah. So these are these are prevention strategies that people in our community, you may not be able, like last uh, podcast, we interviewed Sherry Harris from the Salvation Army, and a mm-hmm. lot of people want to fight human trafficking by helping take care of victims. Um, Which but, is a great thing to do. Uh, it is. Yeah, it, it is. needs to be done. And you can go on our website and find out how to help with um, resources for that. And and if you are interested in doing that, go back and listen to episode number 23 if you haven't, because that's an episode you should listen to if you're interested in doing that. But the larger point, Sandy, is... Well, we are in a community where this is in our face every single day. If yep. you're standing in line at the grocery store, if you're listening to a radio show, if you're watching television, and we have to begin to identify the things that we can do in our own community from a policy, legislative, from media um, outreach, um, getting parents together to stand together against the exploitation of, of our kids. There are things that we can do that are just like what they did to um, fight cigarette smoking in this country. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm teaching there at Vanguard, and I just for fun, I ask if anybody knew who the Marlboro Man was. Mm. Nobody knew. Uh, yeah. But I That's grew great. up. I grew up on those TV commercials. Yeah. I can hear the music in my head and see the guy riding on the horse, and it made cigarette smoking look really glamorous. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing is happening with our pimp culture. That's what our kids are being sold a bill of goods on today. So I think one of the things that I'm hearing you say, Sandy, here is that we can, there's a lot of ways for us to end human trafficking. Certainly serving survivors is a wonderful way to do it if it's done in the right way. But we can all do something to change the language that we're using, the exposure we give to kids around things, you know, the 
types of conversations people have around our children, the things we let our kids buy and purchase, and the and the types of things that we invest in are 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 all part of this. It's not just um, you know we find a victim and uh, offer them victim services. That is that is one piece of a very large puzzle around us ending this horrible thing that happens in the world. One of one of the areas I've had a lot of discussion with people about is the area of pornography. And pornography is legal and the um, it's a huge industry, mm-hmm. billions and billions. Um, every year it goes up. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was a $97 billion industry. And the link, though, between child pornography, which is not legal and which is punishable on a federal level, uh, like 25 years, um, then there's like this breakdown in there. Oh, no, no, you know, that's different. Well, somehow there is a connection between adult pornography and child pornography. And where does that connection happen? And how can we begin to draw and connect those dots? And if pornography leads to child pornography, leads to the victimization of the most vulnerable in our communities, um, is that not like the secondhand smoke mm-hmm. principle? Oh, absolutely. So then do we need to do something about secondhand smoke? I don't want to sit in a restaurant where I have to breathe somebody else's smoke. Mm-hmm. So if adult- yeah, and you don't have to anymore. No, I don't. And so so because of of our I think I think one of the things that we talk about here at the Global Center for Women and Justice is we talk about research and studying the issues. Uh, I'm looking for a solid research report that will link adult pornography to child pornography. And I've seen some of that research. It's, but it's just like when we were dealing with the big industry of tobacco, we had to prove beyond, beyond, beyond normal levels of, of proof to gain the kind of clout that we needed to regulate tobacco. And when you read that CDC report, you, uh, I want to reiterate, the report also noted that states that make greater investments in effective tobacco control strategies see larger reductions in smoking. And the longer they invest, the greater the savings in smoking-related health care costs. So the costs to our society of sex trafficking as it relates to these things that we've identified as um, part of the demand, like pornography and pimp culture and prostitution and exploited minors, the cost to our society is huge. Has anybody been able to quantify what that cost is? We, we need to start looking at research reports that can do that because those are the things that we need to have in hand when we go to our city council, to our city hall, to our state senate, and to our our Congress and say, this is what it's costing us. And so we do need to have strategies to reduce this. And they have to be long-term strategies. They can't be something that's funded for three years and then it goes away. And certainly the traffickers look at this from an economic lens because they're in it for the money and the profit. Profit. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's it's important that on the side of prevention, we also look at it from an economic standpoint too, Sandy. And, and in an era where government has very, very limited resources and nonprofits have very limited resources, we have to make the case for how uh, by ending human trafficking, that does benefit all of us and reduces costs. And if you don't believe there's costs, go back and listen to episode 23 and listen to the all the costs and things that go into serving victims that Sherry was telling us from the Salvation Army. I mean, just serving one victim, how much goes into that as far as time, resources, materials, supplies. It's it's incredible. And the community health care costs for sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, AIDS, which um, I don't know if you're aware of this, Dave, but last year a report came out and the highest increase in HIV AIDS diagnosis in the United States is among 12 to 17 year olds. Crazy, huh? Yeah, so that makes you begin to understand that the repercussions for this are a lot more than um, people are complaining about obscenity and disagreements about what constitutes pornography and what doesn't constitute pornography. Hmm. This is impacting our kids. So the whole secondhand smoke uh, principle, we can apply that to this and we can gain community engagement. And that's what we need. So what's the step forward for us and for the listeners of this episode, Sandy, to to think about and or take action on in regards to um you know, some of the brainstorming you talked about here up front. Well, I think I think we need to hear from our, our community of listeners um, on what your ideas are for how we can step up our campaigns against sex trafficking, against the things that drive sex trafficking, and using this same model so that we begin to move away from just direct, um, basically warning on the label kinds of campaigns. And instead of um, all of our websites and media having pictures of girls in chains, that we begin to look at the demand aspect of this. We begin to develop um, promotional campaigns. And I know there are some amazingly creative young people out there that will have great ideas that I cannot even imagine. But something that has the same principle as secondhand smoke. One of the the thoughts that I think of immediately is um, a music video that came out a few years ago uh, by Steve Seiler. And he did a music video with a song called Somebody's Daughter. And that's a secondhand smoke anti-trafficking campaign song. Mm. A song about the fact that the pornography, and in the video you you see um, a dad aged guy about to click on a website and he has the words to this song in his head and he closes his computer because that's somebody's daughter that's a secondhand smoke kind of campaign mm-hmm. are there other ideas for that do you have ideas well one of the things that i've thought of sandy and i have been in situations where i have heard pastors preaching to congregations using the term pimp in the language they used from the pulpit. And, um, did and that, so, did that make you feel uncomfortable? You know what? Yes. Once I got to know you and, and have been on the board of the center and have been really aware of language that people use around that. But I would be ashamed to say prior to that, no, it wouldn't have because it's such a part of the language in our culture. So one of the things that I've already made a commitment to do and will continue to do 
is when I hear people who should know better, um, and you know, particularly people who are in places of influence and speaking to groups, use language like that of to um, to bring it to their attention that that's not appropriate language and to give them feedback on that. And I think that people, when um, when really they stop to think about the language they're using, uh, it will make change. And so that's something that I plan to continue to do. Well, I want to see how we begin to do prevention with kids before they are victimized as well. And I think some of that addresses the development of kids' understanding of what pimping is and the idea that we don't want that to be normalized for them. So I appreciate um, your commitment to just holding a higher bar for those who, who are influencers, people who are in leadership roles in our spiritual community, in our churches, in our schools, in our education, um, and after school programs to set some standards for this. It's kind of like we're going to take the candy cigarettes off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because if, if it's okay to hold a and practice, practice with a candy cigarette, well, then it's pretty easy step to go to the next. And, and we have we have the historical evidence that that's the case. And that's why candy cigarettes are no longer on the shelf. So go back and um, listen to the um, lecture from Dr. Sharon Cooper in 2009. We are not going to allow the normalization of hypersexualizing our kids. And this is going to take a concerted community effort, and it's going to take what the CDC identified as a hard-hitting media campaign. And I want to challenge our listeners to help us begin to do that. It can go viral. The, the internet creates all kinds of opportunities for the bad guys, mm-hmm. but it creates opportunities for the good guys too. And if you're listening to this podcast and you want to end human trafficking, you're one of the good guys in my book. Yeah. And, you know, no thing like this is too little, Sandy. And they may seem like small things, like bringing to someone's attention that, you know, using the word pimp isn't appropriate. But the little things do make a big difference. And, uh, you know, to continue the analogy with, with healthcare, uh, you know, we have this newborn at home and, you know, we've had to get mm. vaccinated for whooping cough. That's a really easy thing to do. You go down to the doctor, you go over to CVS pharmacy, you pay 20 bucks, you get the shot. It's simple. But the if you don't do it, what it can lead to, you know, the a child getting, you know, pertussis is really, really complicated. So sometimes the simple things can really make a big impact if we do them at the right time and take action to make effective change. And we can do that. We can do that. Did I sound? If you have an idea, please send us an email, gcwj at vanguard.edu. I am looking forward to hearing from you. Did I sound coherent, Sandy? Yes, you did. Okay, yes, you good, did. Good. Looks, looks in good shape today. <laughs> All right. And hey, you could also reach out to us by phone. If uh, you've made a commitment to do something different based upon what you heard in our show today, we'd really like to hear about it. So give us a call at 714-966-6361. And of course, gcwj at vanguard.edu is our website. And hey, just a reminder, we do have a Facebook uh, fan page. So just search for the Global Center for Women and Justice on Facebook and join the conversation there too. Sandy, thanks for uh, your time again today. Thank you. Take care, everyone.